1: of this message, intentionally, highly provocative. Never put your guns down. Never put your guns down. Now, in California, a message title like that gets me in lots of trouble, but I figured I'm in Utah, baby. I can say stuff like that. Never put your guns down. Now, don't worry, this isn't a big Second Amendment, nothing like that, okay? We're talking spiritual guns, but the physical ones are cool too, you know? Never put your guns down. So I just got back from a trip to Israel. Pastors Matt and Lauren Tuggle were there. My wife and I went. Um, we took a seven-month-old baby. Uh, my baby, yeah, it was my baby. I don't know why I said it like we just kidnapped a baby. It was my baby, I made the baby, okay? It was my baby. Took my baby, Seven months old to Israel, and then like we're on the plane, and I'm like, babe, I think we're crazy. Why do we do this? But we're committed and we gotta do it now. So so we um it was crazy. I think that every um every Christian at some point should go to Israel. Um it was deeply impacting to me to go and and you know, all of a sudden the things I've read for years and years and years to come to life in ways that like I stood in the synagogue. In the city of Capernaum, where Jesus Christ himself was thrown out for preaching on the Sabbath, I put my hands in the Sea of Galilee, like in the same water that Jesus walked on, in the same water that God caused, Jesus caused all the fish to flood into Simon Peter's nets, like I, we took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of that giant lake, like where Jesus himself walked, where he told the wind and the waves to be still. I stood in the valley of Elah where David slayed Goliath. It was crazy being there and all these things all of a sudden coming to life, but there was nothing as crazy as the city of Jerusalem. There's there's literally no place like it on earth. It's 5,000 years old, the city, 5,000 years old, okay? This country's like 250 years old, the whole country, okay? Like, it is insane being in a city that, that, that is that old. It has been attacked 52 times throughout history. It's been captured and recaptured 44 different times. It's been completely destroyed and leveled to the ground and rebuilt twice this city called Jerusalem. So it was breathtaking, but it was also heartbreaking to me. And I'm going to tell you why. And and I'll explain it by by reading um, out of Numbers 33. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you've got your Bibles, I want to flip there, Numbers 33. Give you a little context before we jump into it. So um, God calls a man named Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. He was the first Israelite, the first, you know, of the chosen race of God, and God says, not only am I going to make a great nation out of you, and you're going to have millions of babies, and it's going to be crazy, like stars in the sky, I'm also going to give you a place, like a physical land that's flowing with milk and honey, that's amazing, that's going to be your land. Now, when you get there, you're not just going to get it for free, it's going to come with a fight, come on somebody, everything good in life comes with a fight, so there's going to be people there, And you're gonna have to kick him out, okay? So, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on we go. And then we get to Moses. And so the Israelites are in um, captivity to the Egyptians. Everybody knows. Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. It wasn't like the Charlton Heston movie. By the way, Moses had a stutter. So it was more like Pharaoh. It wasn't some big booming voice, okay? And he says, you need to let my people go. So then the people of Israel out in the wilderness, they're trying to find their way to the promised land. And then God gives Moses the instructions for how to take the promised land. And that's in Numbers 33, starting in verse 50. Here we go. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all, somebody say all, the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all. All their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and destroy all their high places. I didn't say to say that after me, but look at you guys. Good job. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger, you shall give a larger inheritance. And to the smaller, you shall give a smaller inheritance. Sounds like capitalism to me. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot, you shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not... Drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. And I think the thing that was so heartbreaking to me personally about being in the city of Jerusalem, it was so clear that the Israelites did not heed this command. The city is so cut up and sliced up and knifed up into you know this is the Armenian quarter, this is the Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter. You know this we can't go over there because that's the Palestinians have that and the Jordanians they da, da, da. there was it's just it's crazy how um, how much the Israelites have have ceded territory to to their enemies. And have chosen to coexist in a land that was given to them to possess. And um, even the most holy place in all of Jerusalem, where the original temple was. The original temple is not there anymore. There's still a little remnant of the second temple, which I'll talk about here in a second. But even that, the most sacred place to the Israelites In modern-day Israel, they are not even allowed to set foot on because it's occupied by Muslims. They're not even allowed to set foot on there. And ironically, it's the highest place in Jerusalem. And what did God say to Moses? Demolish all their high places. And it's so, and listen, you know, for the podcast, I'm not saying that the Jews should go in and I'm not inciting violence, okay? I'm just saying it's a tragedy that at this point, they've made a decision to coexist. And the original commandment was to dispossess the land, drive out every inhabitant, drive out every inhabitant. And so right now, the holiest place in all of Jerusalem and all of Israel for Jewish people is what's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And um, the original temple um, was built by Solomon, which we'll get to, was destroyed by the Babylonians, then rebuilt, and, and then that was destroyed by the Romans. So all that is left of the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, according to the Jews in the earth, is this one little stretch of retaining wall that's called the Western Wall, okay? And it is like very, very sacred place to the Israeli people. So you show up and, you know, people like write things, little prayers down and crumble them up and just like shove them into the crevices of, of the, the wall. And, um, you know, like you, you have to, if you're a, a man, you have to wear, you have to cover your head on where you have a baseball cap or not. They have these like little yarmulkes that you can grab and wear. And so I've got my little yarmulke on. We're split up by, by men and women. So my wife goes, you know, to the, to the lady's side of the wailing wall I go to the to the men's side and then like she takes the baby and so I'm like man my son's already a rebel he's a man going over to the women's side I like that he's just just messing with things and so he's over there on the women's side and so you know I was there and it was it was definitely powerful I mean it's a it's a a sacred place and so I just spent some time praying and um and then I just you know I I love my wife, and so I was just curious. You know, she took the baby, and I just wanted to make sure she was okay, and the baby wasn't crying or anything. And so I, there's like only like a six foot divide. It's just like a, a fence, you know, that, that separates the men from the women. And I just wanted to make sure that she was okay. And so I just like peeked over, and I'm looking to see if I can find her. And my friend from East Lake Campus snapped a picture of me, and I look like the biggest creep in the world. So I think that picture is going to come up. So, I'm at the holiest place in all of Israel, and I look like the pervert trying to sneak a peek at the girls on the other side, next to Rabbi on his cell phone right here. So, anyway, so I have been to this sacred place, and so we, we traveled all around um, Israel, and we had this amazing tour guide. His name is Shraga bin Yosef, and um, just uh, like fought in the Israeli army, and had just all of these amazing stories. His his depth of knowledge about um, you know uh, Jewish history, but also actually Christian history, even though he's not a Christian, was amazing. And his knowledge of of even you know kind of modern day Israeli history was awesome. And so we're just kind of walking around, and, and we have these little radios on, so he can talk, and we can all hear him. And just following Shraga, and just you know looking around at all the sites. And he he said something. And it's like. When he said it, do you ever have a moment where somebody says something that, you know, isn't meant to be some profound, but then it just, like, grabs you, and you're like, "The man, there was something in that. And he just, he was walking along and talking about some of the modern wars in Israel over the last few decades, and he he's just said, we can never put our guns down. And it was just like, it just grabbed me, like, you know, it was like, you know, God planted that in my heart and said, there's something to that. You can never put your guns down. And modern day Israel and even ancient Israel is surrounded on all sides by people that don't believe that they have the right to be a nation. There's 7 million Jews in Israel and 900 million of the nations around them that don't believe that they have the right to be a nation. And so the Israelites, modern day Israel and ancient Israel has always been on the defensive, always having to defend their territory, always having to, to push back the enemy. You know, there's always these contested pieces of, of Israel. It's, it's the the Gaza Strip and people coming in trying to occupy the Gaza Strip and then having to, to drive them out. Then it's the, the West Bank and then it's the Golan Heights and then it's this, then it's that. There was um, one story where um, when they had negotiated a border Between Jordan and Israel, Uh, they had done it on, this was back in like, you know, whatever, the the 30s or something. They had drawn the border with a pencil. Well, then the thickness of the pencil line on the map came under dispute where they said, well, you know, technically that pencil line in real life earth space is like 500 yards. So who owns that 500 yards? So even the 500 yard width of the pencil line Was disputed and argued over and fought for. And so that's what it's like in Israel. And so God spoke to me through that one line from the tour guide Never put your guns down. Now, for it to make sense, listen, this isn't, I don't have three points. I don't have five points on being a healthier you, seven steps to financial freedom. I have one point. So if you're taking notes, write down this one point Never put your guns down. That's my point. Now, in order for it to make sense, we got to go on just a little bit of a journey. So, I want you guys to, to, to follow me. You've got to do just a little bit of teaching for it all to, to come together. So, you guys good at the 10 a.m. service? 10 a.m. service? Good? All right, cool. Here we go. All right. So, um, God creates Adam, puts him in a garden, right, with Eve, says, You're an at attendant to keep this garden. And this was where God physically communed with Adam and Eve, like, like God was with them in their midst. It says that God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. So what that means, by definition, was that the Garden of Eden was a temple, because that's what temple means. It means dwelling place of God, okay? Now, every temple has a pattern. It has an outer court, It has a holy place, it has a holy of holies, and there's a high priest put in charge of tending that temple. And so, in the Garden of Eden, we see that there's a land called Eden, outer court, there's a garden in Eden, holy place, and there's a tree in the garden that's super special, the holy of holies, and a high priest in charge of tending that temple, which was... Adam, very good, Adam, okay? So the Garden of Eden was a temple. Now, we all know Adam blew it. Thanks a lot, Adam. You really blew it for the rest of us. So did not allow the temple to remain undefiled. He allowed the temple, which that's what the high priest is meant to do is keep defilement from entering the temple. He did not do that. Him and Eve get evicted from the temple. Interestingly, if you know the story, the Bible says that God sends them out the east gate of Eden. Eden faced east. And so they go out the east gate from west to east and then God puts a flaming cherubim to wave a sword and guard the entrance to the temple, okay? So fast forward a little bit in um, when Uh, Moses is in the wilderness. God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle. Anytime you hear the word tabernacle, it's a big fancy word. It just means tent, okay? So you can just say tent, and it's the same thing. I want you to build me a tent that I may dwell in. And so then God gives Moses all these instructions on how to build this tent, and he says it's gonna have an outer court, It's going to have a holy place, and it's going to have a holy of holies. He gives instructions that on the doorway to the holy place, you're going to put a tapestry, and you're actually going to embroider flaming cherubim on there. And the high priest is going to enter, this time, from the east to the west, through the cherubim, back into the presence of God. And so the early tabernacle, the tent, the early temple in the wilderness, was meant to be God's first step in restoring his ability to dwell in the earth with his people because the first high priest blew it. Thanks, Adam, all right? So we good. So we had an outer court, holy place, holy of holies, and a high priest, Aaron, meant to protect the temple. Good, good. Fast forward, we get to King David, okay? Now, one of the things that became abundantly clear while we were in Israel is that our understanding of who King David was is Not right, okay? We think of him as sweet little shepherd boy playing the harp. This man was a savage. Like, psycho. Like, he would, when he fought his enemies, he would kill the men and then kill all the women and the children, okay? He was a mercenary for the Philistines, the enemies of God. While Saul was chasing him, literally he went and fought for the enemy as a mercenary. Like this guy was wild. So much so that God goes to David and says, hey, you know what? I'm God, I'm awesome. I don't wanna live in a tent anymore. I want you to build me a house. And then literally God says, but David, you have so much blood on your hands, that you can't do it. Literally, God's like, whoa. (laughs) And he says, so I'm going to have your son Solomon build me a house. So Solomon builds the first temple in Jerusalem with the Holy of Holies being right on top of Mount Moriah where Abraham uh, went to sacrifice Isaac, okay? So that was the location of the first temple. If you go on Google Earth and look at Jerusalem, you'll see right now today that at the very top, there's just this big open spot where that temple used to be and sitting right on the Holy of Holies is this golden dome that's a Muslim mosque right now, okay? So Solomon builds this temple that has an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies, and installed a high priest to look after the temple. Everybody good so far? Here's where it makes sense to you. Because we are on the New Testament side of things, right? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Body, outer court, soul, holy place, spirit, holy of holies. And who is the high priest over your temple? It's Jesus Christ himself. You are a temple. You are a temple. The church is God's temple, but the church is not a building. It's you. It's me. It's the hearts of men and women all over the world. That is the temple with Jesus Christ as the great high priest. Here's where it all comes together. Point number one, one of one. All of the points, don't put your guns down because you, me, we are an Israel. You, just like the nation of Israel, have enemies all around you that want to take slivers of territory from you, little slivers. They want to come in and contest, and you know maybe they're not trying to conquer all of it because that's crazy. Maybe they just want to take the Gaza Strip of your finances. Maybe they just want to take the West Bank of your marriage. Maybe they just want to take the Golan Heights of your purity. Whatever it is, you are surrounded by enemies that want to take territory from you. And you, just like the nation of Israel, can never put your guns down. And here's what you'll you'll do. Here's what I've done. Is you think, I mean, gosh, if I just make a, a little concession, then there can be peace. And even the Sinai Peninsula, the Israelites occupied for a season, but they surrendered it in a peace treaty to the Egyptians and just thought, well, you know what? If we, just, if we just give up the Sinai Peninsula, then there will be peace. You know what happens? Literally, the enemy just goes, all right, cool. Now I want that. That's what happens in your life. If you make one sliver of compromise thinking, if I just, okay, if I just give into this and the devil will let me alone, all he does is just go, all right, now I want that. You can never put your guns down. In my life, oh my gosh, I mean I could pick 19 different areas and I was talking to my wife, you know, thinking about this message and I was like, what well, should, and she literally was like, boo, 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 I was like, okay, whoa, chill, okay? That's, just take it easy. Just give me three or four, you know, I don't need 30. But in, even in um, our, our finances, I'll give a couple of examples. In our finances, okay? So my, probably one of the greatest miracles that's happened in the life of Mike Yeager in 10 years is my relationship with money, okay? I... Um, you know, I had great parents, great family, but just, you know, a lot of poverty, a lot of, it was like the minute money came in, it went away, and I just knew and would declare over my life that I was destined to be broke, and I was always gonna live paycheck to paycheck. I was never gonna have enough. This church has changed my relationship with money, and it's actually one of the the greatest miracles in my life. And in and, and, and the... the the, the financial blessing that God has brought to our family is is amazing, and I say it humbly. And you know, and there's always, of course, room to grow. And and but but like I can look objectively back at who I was when we started coming to the church and where I am now, and say, man, God has blessed that area of my life. But I began to just compromise a little bit, just relinquish a little bit of territory. You know, I'm a business owner, I have an engineering company, and things just have been, been hard, and I just, just began to, to even let my mind go to places like, well, you know what, Like, even if this is as good as it ever gets, it's pretty good. So, you know, like, whatever, even if, if, if this is all the blessing we're going to get financially, man, we live a great life. That's awesome. And I began to compromise and just relinquish a little bit. And it wasn't like the devil came in and I, I went bankrupt and, like, totally conquered my finances. It wasn't that. It was just a little sliver of territory, just a little concession. And I remember my wife and I on the way back, my, my wife, who is amazing, um, said, what if when we land, we're literally on the plane, and she goes, what if when we touch down, we just believe with everything we have and we expect that blessing is coming to our finances? What if? What if we just believe? And it was like we landed and things began to shift. Things began to shift. It's only been a couple weeks. I, had, I landed the second biggest contract in the history of my company a couple of days ago. And it's because I made the decision to drive out the inhabitant of that land. That I'd made a concession and I gave the devil a tiny sliver of territory, and you cannot do it. I'm telling you, the minute you do, the minute you relinquish one inch, there's no peace. It's just the devil's one step closer. That's all it is. You can never put your guns down. When I first came to the church, I was, um, I was a mess so in regards to, to my, my sexuality. I was addicted to pornography. My marriage was a disaster. I brought all kinds of baggage from, from my past with, with, you know, sexual relationships with other women into my marriage. It was a ton for my wife and I to work through. And we, we got a lot of victory. And it was, got to the point where I had really conquered the, the giant of pornography in my life. Like, wasn't a thing. And so I felt like, well, that's pretty good. You know, to go from being completely owned by something to, like, having complete mastery over it, that's awesome. And so I was like, well, I mean, that's that's a big step forward. So dealing with, like, some of those little covert thoughts and dealing with, with my thought life, that's just not near as big. We all need to deal with that. And, and I began to actually make peace with those giants. Because I had conquered the big giant, it's okay to just, you know— I'm telling you, what did God say to the children of Israel? Drive them out. Dispossess them. Because if you don't, it will be an irritant to your eye. It will be a thorn in your side. You cannot coexist. You cannot. Even in this city, in Salt Lake City, which is stunning, by the way. I live in San Diego, which is pretty great. But this place is amazing. I'm staying at Chateau de Tuggle. Have you guys been to their house? It's crazy. I'm like, man, what's it like being successful? Tell me. <laughs> it's amazing. And then I, you know, woke up this morning, and I was like, I'm going to go for a walk. And, and then I, you know, Pastor Loren says, well, actually, if you just hang a left outside of our house, there's this, you know, path around this park. And so I'm walking around the park with the sun rising on the mountains. And I'm like, well, cool, this actually is the Garden of Eden. I'm pretty sure, I've, I'm pretty sure I found it. It's amazing. This city is worth fighting for. This city is worth fighting for. And listen to me, listen to me. Everybody knows that this city has been gripped by a religious spirit for a very long time. That the, the talons of religion have, have sunk their talons into this land. Don't make peace with it. Don't. Don't, do not settle for halfway conquering Salt Lake City. Don't settle for 90% conquering Salt Lake City. Do not rest until you have dispossessed the land from the enemies of God. A spirit of religion seeks to suck the joy out of life, seeks to, you'll know a spirit of religion. I mean, it's the craziest thing. We were in Israel, in the, the dungeon where Jesus himself stayed the night in Caiaphas' house before he was crucified and just out of like spontaneous reverence all there was like a group of 80 of us crammed down in there I wasn't there because my baby threw up on me I'm like so bitter about it I missed out on like the most sacred moment of the whole trip because I'm like cleaning up spit up anyway it's okay I'm working through it so I heard about this moment I wasn't there I guess it was probably cool yeah okay great good for you guys okay awesome but you know, in, in this sacred place where like the savior of earth spent his last night and our church just started singing and started singing like just out of awe and reverence for this place in this moment. And someone from a certain religion, I will not say, came down and was like, shh, what are y'all doing? Stop singing, silence. It's a religious spirit that seeks to suck the joy out of every. That's what a religious spirit wants to do. You'll always know a religious spirit at work because it seeks to suppress fun, life, color, adventure. That's how you'll know. God is a God of freedom, of fun, of laughter, of adventure. You are at war in Salt Lake City with a spirit of religion. Do not coexist with it. Make the decision that we will dispossess this city from our enemies. Somebody say amen. It's interesting because we, as we come to a close here, you know, Adam, and remember, Eden was the first temple, was meant to be the only temple, was meant to be the place where God would dwell with his people in perfect harmony. It was going to be amazing. It's interesting because God gives Adam a couple instructions that are a little confusing if you think about it. He says, I want you to go into the world to fill the earth, take dominion, and subdue it. You've all heard that, right? Well, then God also says to Adam, I'm gonna put you in this garden. I want you to tend and to keep it. So how can both of those be true? How can Adam be sent out into the world To take dominion, to subdue it, while also staying in the garden to tend and keep it. There's only one way both of those things can be true. It's if the mission is to expand the bounds of the garden until the garden itself fills the entire earth. That's the mandate, because the garden is a temple, and the temple now is the hearts of men and women all over this world. The church, the mandate on you, the mandate on me, is to see the entire earth covered with the hearts of men and women that have become the temple of God. And you know it's true because what do we call it when we go start a new church? A plant. We call it a church plant because we're meant to turn this entire earth into a garden, into a temple. Don't coexist. Don't settle. What area of your life have you made those little concessions? I'd love it if we'd hop to our feet really, really quick. I want to just take a few minutes and, and... pray for some people and listen, you know, I've been walking with God now for, uh, I'm I'm still a young man, but I've walked with God now for 15 years and, and not like halfway. Like I I went all in, like I'm all about this thing. I have given my life to building the kingdom of heaven. It's all I think about. It's all my wife and I talk about. Like I am, I'm in it, but I I fight these battles every single day. When I first moved here, um, I had a very serious drinking problem and alcohol owned me, ran my life. My, it put a lot of strain on my marriage and I came to Awaken Church and, um, and God really set me free from that, okay? So I, I made this decision and you know, it's, it's interesting people and, and I'm all about Awaken Recovery. I think it is one of the most amazing things we do here at Awaken Church. So I'm, I'm distinguishing Awaken Recovery, my man, Corey, right? Corey? Come on, man, you're awesome. I'm distinguishing Awaken Recovery from other AA programs because we do it different, okay? But I have um, one of my business partners is in AA. He's been sober for 23 years, and he was just telling me about this story. He lives in on the other part, of, other side of the country, but um, that you know this one guy had been sober for 15 years, all of a sudden found out his wife was having an affair and went berserk, got hammered, relapsed, and murdered her, his wife. And my friend is telling me this and he said that he showed back up to aa and everybody said we're we're all one drink away from doing that and my friend was like says who what is that freedom is freedom to be sober for 15 years, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, gritting your teeth, but at any moment you're you're one second away from carnage, that is not freedom and any that's why I love awaken recovery because we believe that we are more than conquerors, that we're not subjects that we actually have the power to become masters of our own domain. So when I first came to this church, again, God set me free and I I made this decision that I was just wasn't gonna drink and I didn't drink at all. For four years, really broke the back of that stronghold over my life. It was amazing. And then four years later was like, cool, I, I feel like i really have I've conquered this. And so I reintegrated alcohol into my life, and it's awesome. I love having, you know, a glass of wine, going to Napa, doing all the things. Great. And it's it is not, you know, it no longer has mastery over me like it did. But about a year ago, I noticed just the tiniest little sliver. And it was, I'm telling you, honestly, it was harmless, okay? Harmless. But I just found that it just began to just latch a finger into me. And I found that I'd really, you know, come home after a really hard day and be like, I need this. Okay? And I just recognized it straight away. It was a Gaza Strip moment in my life where the enemy wasn't coming in and just totally sabotaging me. I didn't go on some bender and chug nine 12 packs and go ruin my life. But I just noticed just the tiniest little hair of territory that I gave away. And I showed up at men's prayer and I just went to guys that I trust and said, hey, listen, I need to evict the enemy from this area of my life. Will you pray with me? And me and my boys, we went to battle and took care of it. And I'm greatly oversimplifying okay a lot of things like that in your life they don't go away like sometimes they do and that's amazing listen sometimes God delivers in an instant and praise God when he does but it's it's rare and I'll tell you why it's because how you keep a thing is how you got a thing and if you get something by not having to lift a finger then you'll think you can keep it by not having to lift a finger and there's very few things in life that are like that. So the reason that God makes you wrestle and fight for breakthrough and territory in your life is because then you'll know how to keep it once you get it. So don't get discouraged. Don't don't get, why is this so hard? Why, God's building somebody in you who can do hard things. God's building in you the kind of man, the kind of woman that can keep the territory that's given to them. So listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today, and when I was walking around that park and Pastor Matt Lorenz, uh, near their house, at the Garden of Eden itself, as I was walking around, I prayed for you all. I prayed that as I was sharing this word, that the Holy Spirit would would whisper to you areas of your life where you've made those concessions. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you've got a maybe you've got a good marriage. Maybe you have a great marriage, but why not have a greater marriage? Why not have the greatest marriage in the world? Maybe things are going great for you in business. Why not greater? Maybe you've conquered giant after giant in your life. Why not conquer another one? Don't settle. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you, and I'm not going to, you know, do anything crazy. I'm not going to have you confess your darkest sin or anything weird like that, but if that's you and you know that you've just surrendered territory in, in an area of your life, or you know that you're you're under attack and that it's time to push the devil back, to dispossess the, the the temple of your heart, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand up, and I'm going to pray a blessing over you. I'm just going to pray a fresh measure of the Holy Spirit in your heart of strength, of courage. God, I thank you right now for every hand lifted. I thank you for every man, every woman making a decision to Day that I will not surrender even an inch to the devil. I will not surrender an inch in my marriage. I will not surrender an inch with my children. I will not surrender an inch in my finances. I will not surrender an inch in my health. I will not surrender an inch in the city of Salt Lake City, a land flowing with milk and honey that God has set apart for the outworking of the gospel, that the telling of the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ Himself, is going to flood this valley that we're going to see revival in Jesus' name. And the men and women of the Salt Lake City campus of Awakened Church will not stop until we have dispossessed this land from the enemies of heaven. God, I declare blessing over every family. I declare favor over every household. I declare increase in every area that we're going to see areas of our life that have been stagnant for years and years. Breakthrough is coming in Jesus' name. Victory is coming in Jesus' name. If you believe that,